In the uh, summer, I believe it was, of 1991, the box office comedy hit starring Billy Crystal, City Slickers, came out. Billy Crystal's character, Mitch, had just turned 39 and was struggling to find his place in the world, understanding what in the world am I doing with my life, where am I going? Mitch and his two friends have a great idea to trade in the city life for a good old-fashioned cattle drive. So they're trading the city life for the simple life on the open range. And they meet uh, a, a cowboy named Curly there. And they find Curly to be a real man, gruff and sure of himself. And in one scene, Mitch and Curly are out riding their horses together, just the two of them. And Curly says to Mitch, do you know what the secret to life is? Mitch responds, no. Curly then holds up his finger and says this. Mitch responds, your finger? He says, no, the secret to life is this one thing. And Mitch says, well, what is it? He says, that's what you've got to figure out. Our text tonight, while not a comedy, has a similar dramatic crescendo. And as we look at our passage tonight, I want us to look at it to be encouraged and then to draw some implications, some applications from that text as we do life together here in the body of Christ. Before we jump in the text, I'll do just a little bit of background work. Um, I know we've been in the book of Mark some over the last uh, semester, but I thought it'd be helpful just to do a bit of a recap and then put our story in context in the book of Mark. So often, Mark is referred to as the hurried gospel. Uh, we noted, even as we did study early on, that Mark uses the term immediately often that jumps us to action. So we're seeing a lot of movement in the book of Mark. And then in chapters 1 through 8, it really is a focus on Jesus' ministry in and around Galilee. And it highlights Jesus' ministry as a miracle worker and as a teacher. And then in uh, chapters 9 through 16, the focus really becomes about the last week of of Jesus' life. And his focus then switches to primarily the disciples and, uh, and, and what God had called him to do in full obedience to him. And we discussed the summary statement uh, for the whole book. It might sound like this, uh, as Brad gave it to us. Jesus is the Son of God whose life and death ransoms the people of God. That came right out of Mark 10.45 that says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So our text tonight, Mark 10.21, is nestled in Jesus' journey toward Jerusalem where he would give his life as a ransom for many in full obedience to the Father. You're familiar with it. We're not going to read it all, so I'm just going to give you a little bit of a recap. So Jesus is traveling with his disciples, and a young man comes up to him and asks and recognizes him, says, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? A fascinating question we'll look at in just a minute. And Jesus responds by telling the man that God alone is good, but he gives him an interesting answer. He says, well, basically keep the Ten Commandments. And the young man says, well, I've done all these things since I was young. And then we see Jesus' answer in verse 21. Let's look together at Mark 10, 21. Jesus, it says, And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. So I want us to see a couple of things from our text. First, I want us to notice the compassion of Jesus. Verse 21 tells us that Jesus looked at this man and loved him before he ever gave an answer in response to the young man's question. Think back for just a moment with me. The young man's question was, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
He wanted to know what he must do to earn or to inherit that which cannot be earned, that which cannot be worked toward. And even this last weekend, we went and picked up, uh, all three of our children were at three different camps. And reflecting on, on the experience, we were processing through things that they learned. And one of our kids said, you know, one of the things that they were most encouraged by at camp was a reminder that they don't have to earn God's love. In fact, they can't earn God's love, that it is a free gift of God's grace. And yet this young man didn't seem to understand that. And it made me think as I was reflecting on our text tonight, you know, even as believers, at times we falter into trying to earn God's love, something that's a free gift that we get in Christ. So I wonder tonight, are you weary of trying to earn God's love? Are you tired of trying to keep up with the spiritual Joneses, a life marked by do's and don'ts, lists and rules rather than grace and freedom that leads to obedience? The compassion of Jesus meets us in our sin, in our brokenness, and offers us then lasting hope. The first thing I want us to take note of is the compassion of Jesus. And I want to encourage you to think back on the compassion of Christ throughout your own life, not just at salvation, but even throughout, and ask you, does it lead you to worship? Does it regularly lead you to worship? Not long ago, I had the opportunity to do some counseling with uh, a man who was going through a good bit of things in his life. And that's where I started. As I started with him just recalling how God had brought him into relationship. Because I wanted him to recognize that the same God that brought him into relationship was keeping him in, in, the, in the midst of his troubles even then. So starting there helps us. But notice that Jesus looks up on him and loves him before he ever utters a word. Second, I want us to notice the call of Jesus. You know, when Jesus answers a man after looking at him with love and tells him to go and sell all that he has and give it to the poor so have treasure in heaven, he invites the man to come and follow him. And Jesus, like a skillful heart surgeon, dissects the man's condition, identifying his problem and hitting the nail on the head. He identifies that the man's problem is that he loved his stuff more than he loved the thought of following Jesus. We don't know a great deal about this young man, but in verse 22, which isn't part of our text for tonight, it goes on to say that he had great possession. So while we don't know a lot, we know that whatever he had was significant. We also know that his response to Jesus, his possessions were, like Brad led us this morning, they were his safety blanket. He had much of his identity and his worth. His safety was bound up in the things that he had amassed, perhaps for himself, perhaps through inheritance. Either way, he, didn't, he wasn't interested in giving up that which gave him safety. Interesting to note that the response to the man's question, Jesus tells him to keep the commandments, which the man said he had done, and yet the young man finds no comfort in eternally, eternally in keeping the law. Isn't that fascinating? So the man says, what must I do to earn this free gift? Although he doesn't phrase it that way. And Jesus says, well, keep all the commandments. And the young man says, well, I've done all of those things since I was a kid, but he's not satisfied there. It's a great reminder to us that the law was never meant to save, but to point us to the one that would save us as a free gift. And Jesus certainly would have known that. He pinpoints the one thing this man is lacking faith in the Son of God and not in his things. It's a good reminder for us that Jesus will not share his glory with another. He calls us to let goods and kindred go. You know, similarly in Mark 10, 21, we find in Luke 14, in our English translations, Jesus says, unless you hate your father and mother, you can't be my disciple. And the idea there behind hating your father and mother isn't um, vindictive. It isn't malicious. It is one of lesser love. 
unless we let all of those things go and our primary affections are for Christ, then we, like the young man, cannot follow Jesus. We can't be faithful to what God's called us to. And Jesus was inviting this young man to the one thing that mattered most, the one thing that the law could not do. He was inviting this man to lay down his love of stuff, to repent of his love for safety and security and status in the things of this world and rest in the person and work of Jesus. I mentioned earlier that Brad so faithfully charges this morning, even towards the end, he said, don't trade one safety blanket for another. Rather, lay them aside and find refuge in Christ alone. Jesus was doing just that. He was inviting this man, just as he invites you and I to fully trust in him for all that we need. Jesus, for the joy set before him, would endure the cross, taking on sin and conquering death once and for all, and thus making a way for sinners like you and me to be reconciled to a holy God through faith in the Son. He tells the man, give up your worldly treasure and it will result in heavenly treasure. Do you believe that this evening? Is following Christ enough for you to let goods and kindred go? For this is the call of Christ. I'd love for us to draw just a couple of applications and some implications from our text as we, as we complete our time together. First, Do you understand that Jesus looks on you with compassion, that he loves you, and that he calls you to himself? Do you really understand that? Do you have compassionate eyes to see others caught in their own sin the way that Jesus does, to look upon them with compassion and to recognize that their greatest need isn't necessarily that they would change their behavior, but that they would lay aside those safety blankets and embrace the message of the cross? I wonder if you'll pray for the Lord to let you see others with compassion and then be compelled by the love of Christ in you to speak the truth of the gospel. Speak it from the overflow of your own love, your own understanding, your own recognition that you too had to lay aside your safety blanket, whatever that was. And the beauty of of being in relationship with one another is we get the joy of identifying where those safety blankets are in each other. We get to do that in our marriage when we can walk in the door often as husbands and wives and see the look on your wife or your husband's face and recognize something's not as it should be. It's a great point of, uh, of discipleship in the home to say, hey, what's going on? How are things going? Help me understand. How was your day? Start to pull those things apart. And I wonder if, as dads, today as we even reflect on Father's Day, you know, some of us have had um, super faithful dads. Some of us have had um, dads that tried hard but didn't know what they were doing. And some of us had dads that, you know, didn't have any idea that they should be leading in a direction. And yet, sons and daughters are following. They're looking. They're watching. And I wonder if tonight, dads, would your son or daughter say that your life is marked by the compassion of Christ? And if not, would you pray that? Would you pray that? That's part of what Guy is leading out in in this uh, father's group, is to start to identify that the primary disciple in the home is mom and dad. And I wonder just generically, would we pray that together? Not just for fathers, but that our lives would be marked by the compassion of Christ. And that we would be willing then, compelled by that love, to speak the truth of the gospel to those that most desperately need to hear it. I wonder if we'd pray that tonight. And I wonder if we'd seek out action in that tomorrow. As you reflect on this morning's message, I wonder if there's that one thing that you're holding on to that you know you need to lay down at the feet of the cross, lay down at the feet of Jesus in full trust in him. 
Have you been able to stop and even ponder and identify what that might be? What are those safety blankets? I love the imagery this morning of, uh, of being able to think through, maybe you think you've laid those aside, and yet when life gets really complicated, do you run back to that safety blanket, or do you find solace in the only place that can really grant it? Do you find peace in the person and work of Jesus, or do you find it in those safety blankets all over again? You know, as you think through using your means, you know, it says that, uh, you know, Jesus didn't even ask the man to give all that he had. He just said, go sell all that you have and give to the poor. He didn't say give all the poor. He said, go give to the poor. Come follow me. Now, I wonder for us if we're using our means, all of them, from our checkbook to our living room for the glory of God. Are you hospitable? Would you consider inviting someone over to share a meal at your house this week? You know, are you generous to the Lord in his work? both in your giving to the church and to Great Commission causes? Are you compassionate? We spoke of that just a bit ago. Do you actually see the need of those around you? Are you involved in using your gifts to serve the body of Christ wherever is needed? There's a reason why new members, we ask if they're willing to serve in uh, second-hour child care. Because it's an enormous need because the Lord is bringing about young families. And we want, to, we want them to be able to sit together under the teaching of the word. But not just young families. We want to serve all of those in UBC. But our children's ministry in particular. Praise God that that's a place that God's choosing to grow us. Because not only does that mean young families are coming. It means we have an opportunity to train up more of the next generation. To lay aside their safety blankets sooner and embrace the cross. Just know that that's a huge area of uh, emphasis as elders that we're looking into is children's ministry and volunteerism within that. So if the Lord would stir in your heart and you say, listen, I don't know uh, exactly what it is you all need, but if I could be used in some way in children's ministry, gosh, sign me up. I'd love to visit more about that. You can visit with me or Ryan Troglin or or, uh, other elders about that at any point in time. Also thought just as we're in awe of Christ and the gift of grace he's given us, does it Does it move us to worship him? And one of the ways we get to express that corporately is just through corporate singing. You know, so when 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 guys leading us in worship on uh, through song, are we singing out as the redeemed people of God or are we sitting back because we're fearful of what we sound like or we're not sure it's our favorite song or we don't like the drums or whatever the case may be? But are we embracing the truth of the lyrics and singing songs of praise back to our great God and King? And I told you that Curly told Mitch to find that one thing that life is all about and then pursue it. And while I don't think Curly had in mind what the Lord Jesus does here is he tells uh, this young man to sell all he has and give it to the poor. I don't think there's anything that can compare to being known and knowing Christ. I think for the believer, that is the one thing. So lay aside all of the things. Receive God's gift of grace in Christ Jesus. Follow him alone. The rich young man, Mark 10, went away disheartened because he had great possessions. How will you respond to the compassion and the call of Christ tonight? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we are grateful to walk in obedience with you. Father, we're grateful that you're patient with us as we so easily return back to those safety blankets. And we so easily want to pick up those things that never were meant to give safety, even good things, Father, like families and like church involvement. They're never meant to bring safety and security. Only Christ, only Christ. 
And so, Father, we look to you, the author and perfecter of our faith. Father, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that we would be compassionate, that we would be moved because of the call you've placed on our own life to call us into relationship with you, that we would be called and that we'd be called out, sent out, and that we would celebrate the gift of God's mercy and grace in telling others the message of the cross. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your uh, grace in our lives. We thank you for the joy of gathering together. We ask these things in your name. Amen.